Welcome to the Business Scholarship Podcast, interdisciplinary conversations about new works in the broad world of business research. I'm your host, Andrew Jennings. If you like what you hear today, please consider subscribing to the podcast or sharing with others who might like it too. And if you have ideas for future episodes, let me know. My email address is andrew at andrewkjennings.com, and I look forward to hearing from you. Our guest today is Emmanuel Imfor, Assistant Professor of Finance at the University of Michigan. We'll be discussing his paper, Misconduct Synergies, which he wrote with co-author Heather Tukes of Yale University. I'll link to the paper in the show notes for the episode. Emmanuel, welcome to the Business Scholarship Podcast. Oh, Andrew, thank you very much for having me. Emmanuel, when two companies merge, the moment at the closing table where everybody shakes hands or signs the paperwork or when they do that electronically these days more likely, that's really just a beginning. It's a beginning of an integration process between two businesses. Systems have to be integrated and reconciled. Assets have to be integrated. People have to be integrated. Cultures have to be integrated. And this can be quite disruptive. I wonder if you could talk about one aspect of that integration, which is the relationship between the M&A process and legal compliance. What does the literature say? What does it predict about that relationship? And what are some of the possible mechanisms that might be driving that? Absolutely, Andrew. This paper is going to look at a very specific form of legal compliance, which is employee compliance with the relevant securities regulation, what I'm going to be calling employee disclosures. And so in terms of what the literature predicts about the relationship between mergers and these employee disclosures, there are really two separate hypotheses. One of them is that the merger process can reduce these disclosures if low disclosure type acquirers buy high disclosure targets. And so if you have maybe a merger that happens and the employees of the acquirer, for example, have a low incidence of misconduct because the legal compliance department of the acquirer maybe was able to keep the employees in line, then it's easy and intuitive to imagine that that legal compliance department bring that same discipline to target firm employees, reducing the level of employee disclosures in the combined firm. That's what we're calling the market discipline hypothesis. There's also a more recent view. You talked earlier about employee culture, about synergies really coming from bringing similar assets under common ownership. In the case of the investment advisory industry, a very important asset are the employees of the investment firm. And so targets and acquirers, talking about similar assets under the same ownership, targets and acquirers should match then according to levels of employee wrongdoing. And so you can imagine that a legal compliance department of the acquirer maybe is used to dealing with maybe employees that have these disclosures. And so it's not going to be that difficult for them to integrate a potential target that also has employees with these kinds of disclosures. And that theory predicts that advisory firms are going to match according to the level of employee wrongdoing, right? So the the legal compliance departments, back to your early question, are going to be similar for the target and acquiring firm. You and your co-author tested these theories, these approaches in the context of, as you mentioned, the broker-dealer and investment advisor industries. Could you talk about what motivated you to pursue this research? What research questions did you set out to answer? Absolutely. And a couple of facts are helpful to really understand our motivations. Your listeners might be familiar with the fact that 
one in 13 advisors, so these are investment advisors or broker-dealers, has at least one disclosure. We know from recent work that these disclosures can have negative externalities on the advisory industry as a whole. So what exactly do I mean by negative externalities? So one paper showed that residents, for example, that were exposed to the Bernie Madoff scandal were less likely to trust financial advisors with their assets. These residents actually withdrew their money from advisors and placed their money in banks. And so to the extent that disclosures discourage trust in the financial system, they could have far-reaching consequences of discouraging savers from putting future consumption dollars towards the most productive resources. And so that's one piece of evidence, the negative externalities of these disclosures. Another piece of motivating evidence that another paper also showed is that following mergers, advisors without disclosures that were exposed to advisors with disclosures were more likely to have disclosures themselves. So to the extent that disclosures are costly, one paper showed that the average fine was about half a million dollars, it is plausible that following emerging new management might want to do something about employees with disclosures. Now, another piece of evidence is that we know that getting rid of employees with disclosures might reduce the level of disclosures moving forward because disclosures are persistent. Data shows that one in five new disclosures are by advisors that have passed disclosures. So as such, getting rid of employees with disclosures might actually reduce not just the prevalence of disclosures, but also future wrongdoing or, in the context of the earlier paper, co-worker contamination. We're considering this possibility of co-worker contamination and the broker-dealer, the investment advisor industries are really great in terms of researching this possibility because we do have this set of disclosures that are available to the public. Can you talk a little bit about how you went about designing your study? What data sources did you use and how did those support answering your research questions? The first thing to note is there is no comprehensive database on advisory firm mergers. We had to bring together information from a variety of sources. Now, this part is time intensive, but having a comprehensive database really helps increase our ability to conduct our tests. We begin first by collecting data on advisory firm mergers from a variety of sources. So SDC Platinum, Pitchfork, from ADVW, and Investment News. So this is a news website that reports on advisory firm mergers. The first thing we do is we deduplicate the data, and, and to our knowledge, we end up with one of the largest lists of advisory firm mergers. The next thing that we have to do with our list of advisory firm mergers at hand is to collect the characteristics of the advisory firms, their age, location, the type of clientele they serve, and the number of employees. And these are from ADVs that are filed with the Securities and Exchange Commission. Like you mentioned earlier, these disclosures of advisors are, are publicly available. And so we collect the disclosures of these advisors from Broker Check and the SEC's IAPD database. And so then at the advisory firm level, then our measure of disclosures is just a fraction of employees that had these disclosures over the past two years, including the current year. Now, what do these disclosures include? These disclosures include things like customer complaints, regulatory investigations and actions, certain criminal and civil proceedings, and even bankruptcy filings. And putting together all these data sources and constructing your research, 
What were some of your key findings from this process? And were those findings consistent with or were they contrary to the expectations, the hypotheses that you had going in or the expectations of the literature? Uh, Some of them were consistent with the expectations of the literature and others were very surprising. One of our findings is employee disclosures are costly for advisory firms. We we start the paper by showing is that firms with high employee disclosures have lower levels of assets under management, lower change in future assets under management, and are even more likely to close. Now, when I keep talking about assets under management, why would we think assets under management is a good proxy for firm value? That's because advisory fees in the investment advisory industry are typically earned as a percentage of assets under management. And so the, the, the analysis assumes that the level of AUM then is a reasonable proxy for advisory firm value and performance. This correlation suggests that disclosures are likely to be value relevant. Now, although this may not be surprising, this result could easily have gone the other way if the behavior that drives these disclosures is part of the business model. After documenting this relationship between disclosures and value, so assets under management closure, we show that this was completely surprising to us, is that the targets and acquirers actually have lower levels of disclosure than the industry average, with targets having even lower levels of disclosure than acquirers. Recall, again, that the traditional market discipline view of M&A would suggest that targets with high levels of employee disclosure would be more likely to be targets for acquisition because of the market discipline that's going to be imposed on this target. The more recent view of M&A, which suggests a like bias, is more consistent with our findings. Recall that under this view, complementary assets are best managed under the same roof. And so the target firm employees and the acquiring firm employees have similar levels of disclosure. Back to your earlier point, maybe the legal compliance department may be there's less of a clash in culture. And so we find that is like bias like better explains mergers in the advisory industry. Now, this finding is really intriguing to us. First, I do not think that we knew that firms with cleaner records are the ones that are in the M&A market or those with more disclosures tend not to combine at all. Now, another thing is, while the like bias like result is consistent with one of the hypotheses that we test, the evidence is completely inconsistent with the market discipline view of M&A. The third piece of evidence that we see is that targets and acquirers tend to match on employee disclosures. High disclosure acquirers are more likely to buy other high disclosure targets, while the converse is true for low disclosure acquirers, which really feeds back into the like bias result that I was just discussing. One of our main findings is that disclosure falls by about 25 to 34% following the merger. And most of the drop is driven by the separations of employees with disclosures. Now, recall that employees with a disclosure account for about 20% of all future disclosures. So our findings suggest that the right employees leave following m While we might expect improvements following a merger, findings highlight both the magnitude and the mechanism for this essentially what we call misconduct synergies following a merger. So we end up with this result really showing that even though targets and acquirers match on employee wrongdoing, M&A still improves employee behavior through the increase of separation of employees that have these disclosures. If you were talking to a group of 
M&A and compliance professionals or decision makers about these findings, and they asked you, what are the implications for us? What would you tell them? That's very important. So if we go back again to the motivation from earlier about disclosures, possibly having these negative externalities of taking away savers from the investment advisory industry, finding show that M&A can create synergies for the acquirer, but also have this effect of, of having positive externalities on the advisory industry in general by disciplining employee behavior. Now, of course, facilitating M&A in the advisory industry is not a magic bullet. We recall that our results show that like really bites like and the targets with the worst record of employee disclosures are less likely to even be in the M&A market to begin with. Are there any key takeaways you'd like listeners to have from this interview or from the paper? And are there open questions that this study has raised for you and your co-author that you hope to answer perhaps in the future? We know that layoffs following mergers are well-documented source of course savings in M&A. Now, the question of whether the right employees leave is really an open and important question on which our research sheds light. Our research shows that M&A improves employee behavior by letting the right employees go. Corporate culture is an important part of M&A as targets and acquirers appear to match according to levels of employee wrongdoing. In fact, an industry report recently suggested that one of the leading causes of M&A transaction cancellation was actually clashes in culture and is a finding that we document in the data with a like-bites-like result. Targets with high employee disclosures are not more likely to be targets for acquisitions. And so in terms of reducing the level and rate of disclosures, other tools besides facilitating M&A in the advisory industry are going to be needed. In terms of open questions, I've always wondered, right, for theorists, for example, I've always wondered about the net impact of M&A on consumer welfare in the advisory industry. What do I mean by that? So on the one hand, M&A can create a market power, allowing essentially the combined firm to charge consumers higher prices for advisory services. On the other hand, M&A can create positive externalities by reducing the level of employee disclosures in the advisory industry. So how much does the net impact of consumer welfare really change as a result of this mergers is really an open question. Our guest today has been Emmanuel Imfor, Assistant Professor of Finance at the University of Michigan. We've discussed his paper, Misconduct Synergies, which he wrote with co-author Heather Tukes of Yale University. I'll add a link to the paper in the show notes for the episode. Emmanuel, thank you for joining the Business Scholarship Podcast. Thank you so much for having me, and I look forward to listening to future episodes of your podcast that I have quite enjoyed. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Business Scholarship Podcast. If you like what you heard, please consider subscribing to the podcast or leaving a rating on your favorite podcast app, or let other people know about it too. If you have suggestions for future episodes, please let me know. My email address is andrew at andrewkjennings.com, and I look forward to hearing from you. Until the next time, I'm your host, Andrew Jennings.